So this is the Saturday that we've been uh, involved in this uh, community retreat since Sunday, so that's seventh day, <clears throat> another week, and then the encouragement to to really put forth the effort to this practice, developing this mindfulness. And, you know, this is our duty, sole request that we dedicate ourselves to this during this time. And let the world go by all its problems and difficulties and whatever that uh, at this point, at the end of the coming near to the end of the winter's retreat, special opportunity to reinforce, <clears throat> to develop, cultivate. So this this word, it's bhavana, uh, a Pali word means cultivating or developing. And so this merely amounts to a continuous uh, determination to bring attention to the present moment, you know, so that our way we relate within these multiple forms and and the complexities of modern life and stress and social pressures and uh, personal relationships and reactions where you know, this is not, we don't need to concern ourselves as summoners with all this, to be caught up endlessly in trying to um, make everything on the condition plane, you know, trying to become fascinated, involved, obsessed by the conditioned realm. So that this is the Buddha's uh, upaya, or skillful means, this sangha, monastic sangha, so we can reflect on the conditioned realm, <clears throat> which, you know, we're so impinged on, so bound into, so conditioned by, that it's hard to to have any perspective on it. So the simplicity of the brain is a mindfulness, What is that? <laughs> you know, it's a word, common enough word now. You hear it being used, uh, and uh, of course we have the the English English word mindfulness. Usually, a translation from sati sampachanya, and then sati. Sampachanya Panya, these w words uh, convey this sense of getting to the source, to pure conscious awareness before it becomes personal, uh, you know, before we, we get caught up into the conditioning, our emotional habits, cultural attitudes, thinking, process, memory. So when we when we, you know, reflect on this word sati or mindfulness, it's a 
this imminent ref- reflection on here and now. In Thai, they, they translate it as Kwamre Luk, which Luk means to to reflect here and now, remember it. So it's not about remembering yesterday or ten years ago, but recollecting, uh, instructing ourselves, informing ourselves in its cont- continuous way of cultivating bhavana, developing. So that's the, the point of our life is samana, is this cultivation is bhavana. This is uh, the encouragement, you know, you can't, it can't be commanded or forced on anyone. Because this has to come from your own sense of what is really urgent, necessary, worthwhile. Is it asserting myself, my view, my idea of how the world should be? Because there's plenty of those. People, you know, individuals who, <clears throat> who revolutionaries or, you know, prophets, uh, people, individuals who assert uh, themselves in various ways, trying to follow ideas, ideals, some good, some crazy or whatever. But this is like the Samana life is a particular conventional form dedicated to this reflection recollection. That's its sole purpose. So learning to use what we have for reflection, recollection. You know, there's a the Thai forest tradition, we trace, you know, when I came to the UK in 1977, it was with this, to establish this opportunity within this particular structure that I'd uh, cultivated in Thailand under Ajahn Chah. So I didn't come to England with the, with the idea of converting British people to Buddhism or establishing Theravada Buddhism, but bringing something I found very of great benefit to myself and a very clear, simple, direct teaching, make it available for people uh, in this uh, country. So this is, uh, and the result, of course, is, you know, the, it has worked very well. We have 
just the manifestation of this temple is uh, constructed through dana, through donations. Uh, you know, so it's, it wasn't you know living on alms, on the generosity that extend that seems to come naturally to the sangha when it's living within its proper boundaries of vinaya. But the main point is not to build temples or things like this, but to get to the source. And that this is something we can all take responsibility for. You know, how many of you are going to build Buddhist temples uh, around the planet is not the issue. That It's about getting to the source. Uh, You know, to really insightfully know for yourself the deathless reality. Amata Dhamma, Amravati, not as a place in Hertfordshire, but as your own jitta, you know, recognizing, realizing, knowing the deathless, rather than always coming from the idea that you're somebody who's got to try to find it, or get it, or become it. Or maybe, you know, you think, you have grave doubts, well, deathless doesn't make sense. Everything is born, dies, all conditions are impermanent. Coming from maybe a fixed position of grasping, all conditions are impermanent and not self. So it tends to, on the intellectual level, lead toward a kind of annihilation, a nihilism. But in in uh, my mind works in a way that you know contemplate you know what is it this is this, this, like in the Dhammapada my of, often quoted phrase upamado amatabadang mindfulness path to the deathless that always fascinated me so the deathless. Then we have Santitiko, Akaliko, Ehi, Paschopanayako, Bajjitang, Veti, Dapo, Vinuhi. When we chant the morning and evening chanting, we chant this. Apparent here and now, timeless. Ehi, Pasiko is, you know, come and see. We, we translate it as encouraging investigation, which is a bit doesn't quite get the the immediacy of that particular ahi word. You know, wake up, see for yourself right now. Don't, you know, not trying to encourage you to investigate this tomorrow, but wake up now. Be aware now. Be the mindfulness here and now. Be Dhamma here and now rather than somebody trying to understand Dhamma. So that takes a, a different approach than the personality view in that if I'm somebody who's, who's, you know, got to wake up here and now and so I'll try during this retreat. 
not a matter of trying or thinking of yourself, but just doing it. You say, wake up. And they, How do you wake up, Ajahn Sumato? <clears throat> you say, well, wake up. Well, just what am I supposed to do to wake up? <laughs> I've got my eyes open that I still don't. I want to know, tell me what I should do next after I open my eyes. <laughs> so it's not, you know, how can you describe awakeness? And the more maybe one tries to describe it, the further away it becomes. It becomes difficult, complex, uh, very complex. So this is like budgetang, something imminent inside, here and now. Alert, attention. So these ref morning reflections, of the purpose is is to encourage that. Because yeah. this is, you know, on a personal level, we tend to be doubters, skeptics, critics. You know, that's our how we tend to see ourselves or the world around us through the critical mind. And so that, you know, that is personality. You know, we have this, this judgmental factor, this, we know how things should be. If everything was as it should be, everything was at its best, at its peak, at its most right, true. We know how you know, you yourself should be, if you, you know, if you could be as good as you imagine and you would like to be, you know, the society, the monastery, everything would be always, you know, caught up in this sense of trying to make it into something that we conceive of as the best. And so there's reflections on this duality of the thinking process. Is Nibbana the best, or enlightenment, or, you know, is, is that, you know, can we apply that superlative form to the unborn, uncreated? Only when we're caught up with trying to evaluate it in terms of a thinking mind and the limitation of thought. So Nibbana becomes the best. <clears throat> but that's missing the point, isn't it? It's not. This, this awareness then is the gate into before, you know, best and worst are conceived of. So this is intuitive, intelligent, universal intelligence. It's not personal not cultural.
Now these have been investigations, you know, that I've done over the years of monastic life. Contemplate like the deathless Amatadhamma. Investigating our thinking, not through thinking about thinking, but observing. So when we think about thinking, then we form opinions, you know. I remember when I first had the insight, if I could just stop thinking, I'd be okay. I had this when I was a Samanera in Nongkai. I thought, that's it, stop thinking. And that was even before I met Lung Cha. <clears throat> I had the insight, but I couldn't, you know, then I grasped the idea that I should stop thinking, so next few days I desperately tried to stop thinking. <laughs> you know, just through grasping the idea that I should stop thinking and then operating from that. Because in the immediate of the insight, it was a, it was an insight. It wasn't a concept. It, it wasn't, you know, based on some idea of stopping thinking. It was a, a kind of gut level intuitive insight. But then uh, the tendency to grasp, put it into words, uh, all I need to do is stop thinking. And then trying to stop thinking through, you know, trying to make yourself stop doing it. And of course it doesn't work from that, can't do that. So then in uh, in the time also I just through awareness began to notice in the sound of silence the thinking process would stop. Just kind of paying attention to what was happening to me at the time. I began to notice when I when there wasn't thought then there's this kind of resonating vibration. That had a, a kind of, you know, it has a, it's a flowing, uh, continuity that doesn't have any beginning or ending. So, you know, you're reflecting, observing the way things are in your own, you know, in your mind. And then recognizing that, that the sense of myself would de- depended on, on thinking. I have to remember I'm this person. But if there's not any thought, then there's no person. Now, the third fetter of Wichikita, doubt, is, uh, skeptical doubt is, as I've said many times, is a result of clinging to thinking. And so this is, you know, thinking, I'm not trying to annihilate thinking, but 
thinking is a is a great gift that we have. We can reflect, but how to use thinking rather than just be obsessed with one's thoughts, like the Sakya Diti with Silabhadabharamasa uh, usually, you know, trigger off just emotions and habits and identities that we've acquired. And, you know, then they're judged according to good, bad, socially acceptable, unacceptable, right, wrong, heretical, evil, saintly, and judged according to some, you know, a value judgment your society places on these, uh, these concepts. This is the best, this is the worst. And then you're reflecting on the conditioned realm. It's all about these, this dualism, isn't it? About seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, remembering. All this is conditioned phenomena that, uh, that we're experiencing through consciousness. And so it has different qualities of pleasant, painful, neutral, beautiful, ugly, Interesting, uninteresting, right, wrong, good, bad. And that's the way this, this sense realm is. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's like this. It's a, a sensitive experience. We're in this continuous, unrelenting state of sensitivity with the physical bodies we have and the objects of the senses, the world around us, the environment. And how do you transcend it? How do you get out of it? How do you, if there is an escape from the born, the created, the originated? Well, how, what is that? The escape. How do you get out of it? How do you free yourself from just the endless kind of reactivity, habitual reactions to sensory impressions on your senses, on your body, on your mind. These are like self-inquiry, isn't it? How do, how do I get out of this trap? Because it seems, you know, when, you're, when all you know is the sense realm, if you never question, investigated, examined, you merely operate within it. You know, you're, you're kind of helpless victim of your conditioning. Stuck into it. And, and then it, you know, it leads to, you know, why people kill themselves, become drug addicts, alcoholics. <clears throat> Why in, in affluent societies like this one is there so much unhappiness and misery? Why do people have to, to drink and get drunk and take drugs? Because, you know, to me this is a way to try to, to escape from the relentless irritations impingement on the senses, on the body, on the mind, and the, and the way we interpret it, how we interpret the, the sense experiences always in, in, through the critical function.
through memory, through identity, through personality, through liking or disliking, wanting and not wanting. So then the Buddha emphasis on mindfulness, appamado amatapadang, appamado, paying attention, heedfulness, being here and now. And so this is, you know, being here and now, heedfulness is the appamado amatapadanga. Amata is the deathless way or path. Where is that? Where is the deathless path? Is it, at least at least a limitation of language. Not really a path, but it's here and now. Awakened here and now. And this this uh, then is the is the escape from. The born, the created, the form, the originated. Now this is uh, to be, you know, the insight comes not through believing what I'm saying, you know, saying, you know, trying to think about it or just take it for granted that that I know what I'm talking about. The important important thing is to find out for yourself. And of course this is a subtle thing because you're, you're having to look and maybe, you know, a, a lot of our lives of emotions and things, there's so much fear involved in this realm. You know, the human, the, the sense realm, the animal realm, planet Earth, there's so much uh, to be frightened of the fear realm, we're so exposed to being even physically hurt or emotionally hurt and so many, you know, it's an ever-present threat to, to life, isn't it, for all of us. Possibility of being hurt, offended, upset, physically damaged. And then in this past here, all the kind of natural catastrophes we hear about you know, of the Haiti and, and Chilean earthquakes. I mean, what can be more terrifying than an earthquake? Where I, you know, in Seattle, northwest United States, that's on a fault line of mountains. And you go up through the Cascade Mountain Range, Mount Rainier, Mount Baker, Mount St. Helens, Mount Hood in Oregon, all the way down through San Francisco and and down to Chile, that whole fault line uh, of that the west coast of the United States, and it connects the same to the Chilean one. You know, this is the planet that shifts plates and moves, not according to 
to one's wishes, but it does, you know, when the conditions for it to quake, then it does that, and we have no control over it. <clears throat> That's scary, isn't it? Because if you've been in an earthquake, it's very, you just, it's the ultimate terror. Where do you go? What can you do? <clears throat> If the house is on fire, you can run out of the house. But if, but if the whole planet's shaking and quaking, what do you, you know, in terms of threatening or frightening perceptions, I think earthquakes are probably near the top of the list. And then in a universe where there's kind of meteorites and who knows what going on that could crash and annihilate planet Earth just in a, in a flash. And yet we can give so much importance to one's own feelings that we can, you know, carry resentments through a whole lifetime <clears throat> because of just being tra trapped in the born that created the formed without any hope or encouragement to, to uh, escape from it. So fear is, uh, you know, the primal emotion that the whole, this whole planetary life is, is the experience of fear, the animal world, isn't it? The unknown, the forces that surround us in a vast universe that we find difficult to, and threatening and terrifying when we really look at it. And then seeking maybe security on solid earth, you know, the earth. I own this property, this is my land, and I have the legal right to it, I have the deed. And we can get some kind of fault security, but knowing ultimately it's not really ours, is it? You know, we're kind of ephemeral, f flaky little creatures that pretend. Our lives are so much pretense. Or to awaken, not to <clears throat> see it in terms of, you know, just grasping the perception of fear and just seeing it through negative perceptions, but awakening to the sense realm in its entirety as we experience it. And then reflecting that which is aware of sense is not a sense, is it? or a sense beyond the sense. A soul beyond the soul that seeks and sings and makes our life move only with its wings. And then our life is samanas, you know, the conventions, the Vinaya, the Bhikkhu Sangha, Siladhara Sangha, the Garikas, and so forth. 
These are forms for reflection, not for identity. <clears throat> not to try to create perfection in them. You know, trying to create the perfect monastic system or you know, it's like trying to create the perfect temple, perfect monastery, perfect relationship, when ultimately on that level, you know, everything is subject to so many other conditions of earthquakes, fires, wars, meteorites, who knows what, the mysteries, the, the unknown aspects of this vast universe. It can only frighten us if we know too much of it. So then, you know, like the going forth, the Miriam and Soledad, is this to really reflect, and this is make your intention for liberation from delusion. So you know, nothing to do with what, whether you think you can do it or not. Make it quite a rational intention for what you're doing for Bapacha. You know, so it's not you know, how you, whether you think you'll be able to or not is not the issue at all. Like when you go forth, then your goal is Nibbana, to realize the truth. And then on a personal level, you might, you might have grave doubts about your abilities or your skeptical mind can take over or People will tell you, you know, I've been practicing, I haven't realized Nibbana yet. <laughs> yeah, very depressing. <laughs> uh, you know, people telling you what a waste of time it is or how wonderful it is. But that's not the point of seeking, you know, um, but observing. It's uh, learning how to use a tool skillfully to free oneself from delusions. <clears throat> or the fetters, the obstructions uh, that we're conditioned with, that we're strongly identified with, that we create our world with. So it's, a, it's a really a challenge of breaking through, you know, getting, you know, learning to, to see through those fetters. Not the suppress or annihilate them, but no longer be lim limiting yourself to the fetters and the world you live in is just the, the force of habit and your personal karma that kind of blindly, one's blindly addicted and attached to. So this, this Siladara form, it's a expedient means for reflection. It's not to, we're not, uh, you're not trying to, you know, this sense of not, uh, uh, not to use it for becoming a bhikkhuni or something like this. Because if this is the option, you know, we're doing this in order to get something better in the future, 
then your tendency would be to aim for that. You know, to try to improve, and or what you think would be an improvement, or and the the aim of this life is to use it for reflection on the here and now. You know, so we're not in here to to improve it, but to use it. So, like the bapa cha is a, a kind of giving you the the uh, right, the imprimatur to use this convention for awareness, not for identity or with some purpose in mind to to make, change it for the better in the future. Or if one does have such intentions, you can observe that. Our own way, we, we, we lack that contentment or appreciation for what we have because we can always imagine it being better than what we think it is. <clears throat> So this this gets misinterpreted, as many of you know, on these websites, and that intention is not to, you know, to bully or put women in their place or do something in some unwholesome way, but to to you know, put limits on on things so that we, you can reflect. So you're you're not caught up in some idea of trying to make it better or get something you don't have. And because we need to see these, the, this tendency, this, the bhava dhanha, vipava dhanha tendencies that every human being has, wanting something you don't have, not wanting what you have. So the, the summoner life, you know, the moving towards contentment with the requisites, simplicity of shelter for the night, thank you, rather than I'm senior monk and they give me this lousy shelter to live in. <laughs> or if I should do that, you know, you give me some The, the least desirable room in the bhikkhus be hard to live in. <laughs> and then, then I should think, how dare you? You know, I've helped establish this monastery. I'm Ajahn Sumato. Then I, the good thing, be aware of that as, uh, you know, to see the emotional reaction rather than, than just trying to suppress my p- emotional feeling by trying to to uh, live up to a to an ideal of what I should feel, I should be content with the shelter for the night. So these requisites are more, you know, they're not trying to force you to to act like you're content. You can't command inten- uh, a, a contentment from anybody. It's a state uh, that you recognize through seeing the suffering of discontentment. So be discontented with everything here, but observe it. You know, be the knower of discontentment, of wanting it to be better, not wanting what you have. Things like this, so that you're putting that in the context of the noble truths. 
suffering, the, the second, third noble truths, it, it'll take you to Niroda. All that arises ceases. The unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. There's tremendous energy now, and you know, as Buddhism uh, is understood and developed in around the world, to try to improve it, make it better, and or there's the old, you know, it's good enough the way it is. You can't change it. Attitude, or we can improve it, modernize it, make it more suitable to to modern life and the needs of a modern society and. So these are, you know, these are uh, ways that 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 culturally we're conditioned to to do. You know, the Americans we're always, you know, we're our cultural conditioning is always to improve everything. We we'll make it better, like the United States was established on the idea of of you know getting away from Europe. And all its wars and problems by making the perfect democratic society better than any European one. So it was an inspired, you know, based on on human aspiration, inspiration, <clears throat> on ideals, so forth. Uh, so then the cultural conditioning, Sila Pata Paramasa, for, for Americans is like this. You're always, you always can find ways of improving everything. And then the old stick in the mud, you know, this is good enough for my grandfather, it's good enough for me. Buddhism is perfect and needn't change anything. And and that's still an opinion, isn't it? So, well, that uh, you know, you don't want to. You shouldn't change it. You shouldn't change anything, or you should change it. Now, the 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 life here at Amravati is to observe this. Say it's good enough the way it is. Here, I'm not saying it's the best, or thinking, uh, you know, ways of trying to, to make it better so everybody's contented and happy with it, because that, there'll never be that day. <clears throat> but to use it for this escape from the born, the created, the form, the condition. And of course, that's always in the in your jitta, isn't it? It's here and now. It's nothing to do. Even, even with when we get all the conditions we want, it's still the problem's still there. You know, so trying to to make everything what we want, it's not. You know, it's not necessarily going to to be liberating. Because then, you know, you're caught in that. Always, there's always something ways of improving, making it better. And that's how the thinking mind tends to, to operate. It, 
it, it's, it's its nature. You can always think of something better than what you have in the present. Or we can make the things we don't like into big, you know, exaggerate and make them into big, you know, become totally kind of caught in a, in the flaw that we notice that we don't like. We become obsessed with what we don't like to the exclusion of mindfulness and even recognizing what we do like. So in the, you know, the, the monks and nuns, they're in this alms mendicant tradition now. They're like, the Siddhadara is a alms mendicant. So you're, you're dependent on the uh, kindness of the lay community for the kind of basic necessities for survival. So it's not an attempt to uplift women in Theravada Buddhism, but to give you a chance to live in this way of a mendicant rather than some kind of uh, ideal of trying to improve the conditions within Theravada. It's just giving occasion, opportunity to reflect, to to develop the contentment that comes through alms mendicancy. So this contentment, gratitude, <clears throat> William Blake, English poet, said, Gratitude is heaven itself. <laughs> and so, like the, the, we have this uh, gratitude to parents every year here. Yeah? Uh, the Westerners, we never think of gratitude to parents. This is definitely, you know, an Asian <laughs> influence day. But it's also gratitude, you know, to parents, to Buddha, to Lumpacha, to all that is, you know, to the sense of, of just feeling, the sense of appreciation, the opportunity, given the occasion to, to live in a way that you're encouraged to reflect and observe, investigate your own consciousness. There's very few opportunities around for this. You know, so it's something, you know, to me I feel incredible gratitude to uh, Ajahn Chah, to the Thai forest tradition, to Thailand in general, because they kind of, they accepted a foreigner. You know, when I first went to Thailand, I didn't know if they'd even accept a, a foreigner into the Sangha. I didn't know anything about Thailand at the time. But it's, you know, and I was, was, welcomed and given the opportunity to contemplate my own existence, which, you know, just has always been a source of incredible gratitude for me. 
and then the the monastic form, the alms mendicant form of develop, seeing through all my greedy tendencies, my envy and wanting. You know, I you know I I like beauty and good things and things like this. I want, you know, I have, you know, I I like quality conditions and. Uh, I like refinements and all this kind of thing. So there's a, you know, personal movement towards always trying to make things better. But uh, in the in the life in in Watapong, you know, life is pretty basic, primitive there, on the material level. But the whole emphasis was on this mindfulness and observing this suffering and its causes, and the cessation of it. And that I can do, you know, you can actually do that. It's not asking for something, to, to ask you to do something that n- no one is able to do. Whether you do it or not is up to you, you know, that's, that's your business. But the occasion is here. And now, you know, this is this is the whole point of this monastery is, it, is to give the occasion for escape from ignorance. Realize the Amatta Dhamma, ultimate truth. But it is, uh, you know, it's, it's, so, it's a continuous reflectiveness that's necessary. And that can only come when there is gratitude and contentment as your foundation, you know. It's, if there's always a, a sense of, if there's discontentment and uh, criticism and wanting things to be something else, not wanting what you have, then there's, uh, you know, there's wherever you go, that's going to create suffering. Whether you're a samana or a lay person, a success or a failure according to worldly values. <clears throat> so it's, I mean, that's the, the sangsara. So this this alms mendicant form is its whole aim is to to live in in a simple way, fewness of needs, grateful for what is offered, contentment. But these are not imperatives. You can't. You you should be content and grateful. That's the that's a way of intimidating you, isn't it? Making you feel guilty if you're not if you're not content and. You're not grateful, and I can say you should be. And then, what does that do to your mind? Except you feel guilty or angry or whatever. So, you know, be aware of discontentment, dissatisfaction, doubt. Be the awareness of it, of lack of gratitude, 
uh, the critical, how you can criticize this tradition, what you don't like and don't want. Uh, and, and to be aware of it, that which is aware is the gate to the deathless, the escape hatch. And so this is, this this form we have here, his sole purpose is is to is for awareness, mindfulness, not for attachment uh, to uh, personal identity with it, but to reflect that in a way we, pers- we you know our personalities and our tendencies to cling to position to perceptions is like this. So, you know, just say, I'm senior monk is a perception, isn't it? In my mind. And yet it's, in terms of the convention, that's true, isn't it? I am senior monk here. Not in Thailand, I'm not senior, but here. So that's a fact on a conventional level. Or it becomes Sakayaditi when I say, I'm the senior monk, so I'm, you know, the big boss. I'm the teacher. I'm the Upachaya. I'm dedicated my life 40 years. I'm disciple of Ajahn and all that. Then it becomes Sakayaditi. Or maybe, you know, we have different, you know, we feel guilty. We don't want to, you know, you know, I am the senior monk here, but you know, I'm not holding on to that. I'm humble. I think of myself just as good as the most newly ordained Anagarika. You know, I'm not proud. That can be Sakya Diti also. You know, kind of Uriah heap type of humility. And so you you know, one can be more humble than anyone else or consider oneself terribly important, or consider oneself worthless, of no importance. But the awareness of the self, that's that's an important one. So this is, you know, this is the cultivating this awareness, so that seniority <clears throat> within the Sangha is no longer, you know, a problem because it, it's merely functional. It's not, and it's, it's conventional rather than personal. Not about privilege or being better, merely functional. And, and therefore, you know, it's, it's for reflection, not for uh, you know, attaching to it or dismissing it. Because we can, we're all the same. We're all equal. Nobody's better than anyone else. And that can, that can, you know, in some ways that's true. In other ways that, that can be very sakyaditi kind of position. So we're not evaluating each other according to who's the best and who's senior. Their senior, senior already implies you're better than the rest, which is a rather foolish 
way of thinking, isn't it? But it's merely, you know, who, or, who took the robe first, that kind of thing. So it's, it's not about, you know, one's value according to seniority or lack of value because you're junior. But the emphasis is on awareness of that. Like condition phenomena is all about seniority, being senior, junior, being at the top or the bottom or between. That's the conventional realm. That's the conditioned realm. It's all about conditions changing. Birth is better than death. Does that make sense? We like birth maybe, but and death maybe we don't like. But awareness of birth and death, of beginning and ending, is the deathless. You know, we're, we're getting out of the trap of being attached to death itself, because birth is the cause of death. You know, we've all been born, so we're all going to die. And if we'd never been born, then we wouldn't. You know, if I'd never been born, I wouldn't be 75 years old. And each year it gets older. And then death of the body, where reflecting on the body is not the body, isn't it? awareness, body awareness, awareness of breath, awareness of the emotional state you're experiencing at this moment, awareness of the senses of beauty and ugliness through sight, pleasure and pain through the senses, awareness. This is, this is the, this awareness then is the is the gate, the, the door to the deathless, is the escape hatch from the uh, death-bound conditioned realm. The only, only possibility we have, and you know, you contemplate it. There's no other way. You can't create immortality through, uh, through, uh, through creating something. Every creation is mortal. <laughs>